strange one. Hope you had a great 4th of July. Hope you had a great week outdoors um, and just uh, have been enjoying what this uh, the instant summer that we've had. My gosh, we went from spring to uh, to the middle of the summer, the dog days in a period of about literally three or four days. Uh, And we're looking at it now and hitting these high 90s and almost 100 degree temperatures up north and triple digits down south. So I guess it's official. Summer is here. And, of course, the uh, proof of that, too, is our forest fire situation. Look, folks, if you're out there, just a, a just a little bit of common sense, okay? Let's make sure if you're out in the backcountry that if you're camping, you make sure your fires are out. Remember the old Boy Scout training for those of us who went through that as kids? You know, make sure that you not only uh, douse them out and cover them with dirt and everything else, but, you know, make sure that they've cooled down before you leave. If It's just a little bit of pre Planning before you leave a campsite, and boy, it can make a huge difference because we apparently have already had fires that have been started by humans. And now there are going to be some lightning fires, and we can't do much about those, but we can certainly take care of the man made situation. And of course, the 24th will be coming up soon, so. Please respect the laws regarding fireworks. Uh, you know, as a kid, I remember we couldn't have fireworks in this state, and uh, the laws have been liberalized. It's a lot more fun for everybody, but it also carries some responsibility with it as well. And if you're in a fireworks restricted area, please don't uh, don't shoot off fireworks. I mean, there's a reason for it. It's not to make sure that your fourth is less fun or your twenty fourth, as the case may be. It's a simple protection of the resource. It costs us a lot of money. And then in addition to that, we've got the wildlife implications. If you hunt or you fish, you should definitely be uh, very vigilant about what you do or don't do in those fire those fireworks restricted areas because we're still suffering the consequences of uh, the fires in the Strawberry River drainage, and we're going to be for a long, long time. It killed off an an awful good population of cutthroat trout that are still suffering, whether it's ingesting ash or the water that uh, came down and and rolled all that, that mud and silt into the river or just the habitat in general for big game and uh, bird populations. I mean, the the spinoff effect of forest fires, in addition to just the cost and the impact on human life in terms of, of danger for our firefighters and people who lose property and everything else, the impact on the resource is felt for years to come. So please, just uh, let's let's be smart about it. Let's show that we are able to uh, handle the increased responsibility of having the extra fun with the fireworks and that the laws have been liberalized to help us out. Okay, enough said on the soapbox. Um, Well, maybe not, because I think uh, our first guest, we're going to talk a little bit again about responsibility. uh, And I welcome in uh, Faith Heaton Jolly, who is the public information officer for the Division of Wildlife Resources. And, you know, we gave her a taste of this show a couple of weeks ago, and apparently it wasn't such a bad experience because she agreed to come back on. So this morning, we welcome Faith to the show. Faith, thanks for giving us another shot, too. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me back. And yeah, I'm, I'm back for more. <laughs> Boy, you are a glutton for punishment, right? <laughs> I guess so. I guess so, too. No, we definitely appreciate it because we've got an issue that cropped up um uh, well, I guess a week or so ago, that has been a, a, a problem 
not so much with this species of wildlife, but in terms of, of general wildlife, uh, I guess, what responsible behavior by the public in general. This is one of something that uh, has become increasingly an issue in terms of, of having peregrine falcons that have been in our uh, urban areas, because uh, obviously it's a bird that typically would be out in the wild, but... It is something that now we've been able to see has decided to make its home in some of our uh, most populated areas. I think mostly of the uh, uh, what used to be the Hotel Utah, now the Joseph Smith Building, downtown Salt Lake, where that population of peregrine falcons, they've come back year after year. But that's not the only place, is it, that we deal with peregrines and they interact inside our uh, our cities? Yeah, no, you're right. And you know what? They're, yeah, kind of our message for this week, the reason I'm on your show, um, yeah, we recently had an issue with some American kestrels, um, which are a type of falcon species. Mm-hmm. They're the smallest um, falcon species in North America. Yeah, they, you know, they'll come and nest in some of these urban areas and buildings and, um, you know, build their nests up in the eaves. And, yeah, we just, you know, we've run into some issues with some people that uh, were trying to get rid of them, but, you know, <laughs> did so in an illegal manner. So, yeah, we're trying to spread some of that message. Now, this this most recent example with the Kestrels was a building that, and I live in Lehigh, so I, I know the area, but the Lehigh Fire Department uh, was contacted to uh, to help with this situation. Just detail what happened with these little nestlings, these uh, Kestrel nestlings in Lehigh. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, like I said, we, we had a caller that had seen this Kestrel nest up in this business um, you know, the kind of the eaves of the business in Lehigh. And they'd seen them, you know, one day, and then the next day they noticed that a net had been installed that was basically separating the baby birds from their parents and also trapping the baby birds in their nest. So they weren't able to get out. Um, So obviously that was of concern to this individual. So they contacted us. Our officers responded. And because the building was so tall, weren't able to, you know, reach and access that nest and so got a hold of like you mentioned the lehigh fire department to come and help out with that and so yeah able to get the net down um they discovered as they were removing the net and kind of rescuing some of these remaining baby kestrel um two of the baby kestrel had died um but our you know our officers weren't quite sure if it was because of a result you know as a result of this net being put up um, and then being trapped or if they died prior to that. Um, but yes, two of them had died and then three were they were able to save and they were able to fly off. Um, so yeah, just, just kind of an alarming situation, you know. Um, kind of just looks like somebody was maybe trying to take matters into their own hands, maybe sick of having the birds there. We're not 100% sure, you know, the motives. Um, but it is something that, you know, the individual responsible could be facing a citation for. Yeah, because uh, baby birds and then nests that have eggs in them are protected federally, right, under the uh, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. So, I mean, it's a f- there's federal protection for birds, which I-, I don't think many of us think about because typically nests are in the wild anyway. And, you know, we don't come in, can- in contact with them unless it's something like this where those nests are built in a, in a structure, in a building that you... Uh, you you frequent 
Right. You know, and, and it is something, you know, maybe it can be a little bit of a nuisance sometimes, you know, if they're maybe, you know, pooping on the side of the building or it's, you know, dropping on your doorstep or something. Um, but it is, you know, like you mentioned, they are federally protected. And so it's something that we, we tell people they're welcome to prevent the birds from nesting, you know, but you have to do it before the nesting season starts. So, you know, once there is a bird nesting there and there are eggs or baby birds in the nest, you know, you just need to wait until after the birds have left the nest. Um, you know, the, it is illegal to, to you know, destroy the eggs or, or harm the baby birds at that point. And it's not a long process. If, if eggs are in the nest, the incubation time is not, uh, not extensive for most bird species. Yeah, you know what? It, it really isn't. In fact, I I shared this with, on Twitter and you know with my coworkers because I thought it was kind of fun. But I recently, you know, I have those hanging flower baskets on my front porch, mm-hmm. and just this, you know, just recently I had some robins that came and laid in a, a nest, and you know, as I was watering the the flowers, I saw, you know, these little eggs in there, and then yeah, it was literally within three weeks from the time I saw the eggs to the time they'd hatched, and then the birds, you know, eventually flew away. So it really doesn't take a long time. You know, you're not going to be putting up with this forever. And then in the future, you can prevent them from nesting if it bothers you. But, but yeah, we just ask people, you know, don't, don't bother the eggs or the baby birds at, while they're there. Well, and, and fortunately, this is not a real common issue, whether it's uh, uh, someone interacting with them or uh, birds nesting in homes anyway or buildings. It's not all that frequent that it happens, but it, it does happen as we uh, cut down more trees, I guess, take more habitat away from them. They're looking for places that they can that they can actually live and, uh, and you know, have the nesting season. So it is something that's probably going to be more frequent as time goes on and as development increases so it's probably a good thing that we understand what the restrictions are right off the top and not have to uh, not have to worry about it and, uh, and and don't get yourself in trouble folks I mean that's the bottom line is there's no reason to uh, to put yourself in jeopardy there and and it is a federal law and uh, some species certainly are more um, what I guess prone to nest in buildings than others, and also I would imagine that coming down on you is a little bit—it's um, it, a little tougher for some species. A kestrel, for example, probably elicits more of a severe look at it, a critical look at it from uh, wildlife agencies than maybe a robin does because of the the numbers and things of that nature. But um, all of them are protected, and that's the thing to know. Right, you know, and and there are some instances, you know, where. If, if they are, you know, damaging a lot of property or things, you know, there are some things you can you can contact our, our offices here and see kind of what some of your options are. Um, you know, you actually are able to get, apply for some federal permits for, you know, Canada goose populations. You know, if they're causing damage on your property, you can, you know, remove some of those and, and things like that. But, yeah, we just tell people, you know, don't mess with them. And if you absolutely feel like they need to be removed, then call us, you know, and, and we can kind of work through that with you and tell you what those options are but you know it's best just don't don't take matters into your yeah. own hands well i'd like someone to help me get rid of my woodpecker situation living in a log home uh they've had i've had holes pecked in complete holes 
into the uh, into the soffit of my home. So if you've got somebody who can help me with that, I'd be more than happy to entertain <laughs> the, the suggestions because I've got holes that are probably as four or five inches across completely through the uh, the cedar soffit of my log home. So, um, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, I am not a woodpecker expert, but no. somebody here is. So, Good. Well, yeah, give us a call. Send them my way, okay? Uh, we can do that. Hey, before we let you go, just wanted to touch on another uh, release that you sent out this week about some uh, deer and elk permits that are available uh, on July the 16th for general season bull and general season buck deer permits. Um, you've got a chance to buy a permit next week, right? Uh, this is kind of your last shot as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the general season bull elk permits will go um, on sale. They'll become available at 8 a.m. next Tuesday, July 16th. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, the buck deer permits will become available next Thursday, July 18th, both right at 8 a.m. You can buy online or at any available, you know, licensed sale agents. Um, but, yeah, kind of kind of your, your last shot. You know, some of these are remaining from our drawing earlier this year. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so just a good opportunity if you're still interested in hunting for elk or deer this fall. And I think the number you you cite there is about 1,300 uh, and some change remaining on a first come first serve basis. So um, it yeah. pays to so yeah, those pays are to be for aware. The deer, right. And then yeah, the elk. There are a few more. There's there's about 30,000 first come first serve permits. And then the uh, the youth general season archery deer are also available on the 18th at 8 a.m. Um, these are not leftover permits. These are the ones that you've set aside specifically for the youth hunts, and you've got to be 17 or younger by the 31st of July to purchase these. But these are not just leftover permits. These are ones that have been designated uh, for the youth 17 and under, effective uh, July 31st. So you can uh, you can purchase it online, uh, or you can go to any licensing agents to purchase these permits, correct? Yep, correct. Yep, and those are just the the archery, right. uh, general season archery hunts for our youth. But yeah, just a good opportunity for them to kind of, you know, get out and, and experience, you know, Utah's outdoors. Now, talk to me about your virtual waiting room because uh, this is something new this year, right? If you're buying online, it is. Yeah, you know what? And and kind of the idea behind it is just to try and kind of better manage the pressure of, of people that are wanting to buy some of these permits online. Um, and, and yeah, one thing that we're saying is, you know, if you, so once you log in and you're trying to buy these permits, you're kind of placed into like a queue. So you'll get a number of what number you're, you're at in line. Um, and then we tell people, you know, if you refresh or you navigate away from that page, kind of that virtual waiting room page, you, there's a possibility that you may lose your spot in line and have to start over. So we just want to remind people, you know, just stay on the page right. um, until you're able to get through and and, and uh, buy one of those permits. Well, Faith, thanks for uh, having faith in us and, uh, and joining us again for uh, this second week. This is, uh, we can kind of make this a regular thing. If you're a game, we certainly are, but we appreciate the information. It's, it's always good to talk to you. And, and I think some great advice both whether you're looking for um, purchasing permits or just the situation with some of our birds as we're going to see this perhaps more frequently over the coming years. 
Yeah, no, it's always great to be on, so thanks for having me. All right, Faith Heaton Jolly from the Division of Wildlife Resources with our first segment today. Uh, we've got second segment coming up. Gary Winterton will join us, uh, and later in the program, we're going to be talking about some ATV rides uh, down in the southern Utah area, some guided rides that are uh, Jeep-driven, and uh, I'll tell you what, it's some amazing country that you can get to through our guests that will be along in the third show, uh, the third segment of the show. So we'll step aside. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Hope you're out enjoying the weekend, this warm one here in uh, northern and southern Utah. Back with more Inside the Outdoors right after this. And welcome back, everybody. Second segment of the show. Now, you're probably wondering, if you're a regular listener, why are we playing Gary's lead-in music right off the top of the second segment? Well, that's because George Sommer had the audacity to actually take a week's vacation. Some time off when he's not going to be on the show. I, I, I begged and pleaded and everything else, but no, he said he needed to take the day off. So... I guess we're going to give him one week out of 52 where he doesn't join us. So so it's the Gary Winterton segment, segment number two, which is something that Gary has been lobbying for forever. And today he gets the second segment all by himself. GW, how you doing? Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I thought I was kind of a big deal, and I'm always bringing up the rear. No, the you get the whole segment to yourself today, and we'll just kind of see how this one goes, okay? Trial run. I love it. You just call me the outdoor probie. I'm on probation. There you go. No, you're the utility guy, man. You play every position, including the first part of segment two or the second part of segment two. But today you are all of segment two. So uh, thanks for joining me this morning. And you have got, uh, I think, one of the cool shows coming up because we're going to talk today about the dog days of summer fishing. And and your show tonight, uh, which is at 11.05, right after Talking Sports on K. UTV hooked on Utah. It is about one of those areas where you know when you're thinking midsummer fishing, this is one of those great places to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're uh, I'm so excited about it because people like you, I do love. I love to kind of change it up and get away from some of the bigger lakes, more popular places. And and there's a lot of people that love to do this. We actually tonight we're going to show you. A, fishing on the Yellowstone, and not the big Yellowstone, but I'm talking about the Yellowstone that comes out of the Uinta Mountains and kind of flows down into Duchesne, Roosevelt area, and it is such a wonderful river. It's really got some of that neat fishing because you can you can get the trifecta when you fish that river. You can catch browns. You can catch cutthroats. You can catch rainbows. Actually, it's the quadfecta. You can get brook trout. So there's four species right there as you walk this river that you can catch fly fishing and and or spinner fishing but it's just so much fun i love it because of the you know you're getting out of the heat you're getting up into this crystal clear water and you get a chance to just fish for the you know for various species of trout and it's one of those where you know a single hole can hold all four species of trout, and that's what makes it so exciting. Talk to me about the growth factor on that river. Obviously, as a high Uinas uh, river, it's uh, it's got a limited growth cycle as far as the year is concerned, but it produces some really nice fish. Yeah, it'll surprise you. In the lower Yellowstone, which flows, there's some private areas that flows through the Indian Reservation, which you can go buy a day permit for. And those areas hold some really nice brown trout, really nice brooks and bows. 
um, and cut. And I'm talking, you know, two to three pound fish that'll surprise you. As you get a little higher, you know, the river actually, you know, this time of year as the flows are dropping, it's like your traditional Uinta rivers. You know, cobblestone with the little pools, and in those pools, you're going to catch fish that range from four inches to ten inches. And it's the lower river where there's more water flow, where all the little tributaries are flowing and that holds bigger fish. But I love the excitement of taking a little three-weight fly rod and working my way up those cobblestone pools and knowing that I can sneak up on a pool and throw out some type of stimulator, you know, a grasshopper pattern, you know, just a, a royal wolf, you know, anything like that. Plop it on there and boom, you know, you get this big explosion and it might be a four inch fish and it might be a 12 inch fish. But sometimes you can fish those holes, Steve, as you know, and you can pluck out 10, 15 fish out of a single hole that might only be 10 feet across and two feet deep. And you can't even see where these fish are coming from. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing to, to see how much, uh, how many in terms of numbers these little pools hold. There's no way you would think they would be able to hold that. Now, you know, they're limited by the poundage that they can feed from certain areas of the river. So, you you know, you might get 10 small fish or you might get two decent-sized fish in there because of the carrying capacity from a feed standpoint. But you find one of those holes where, you know, every, every time the fly goes in or the spinner goes in you've got something that comes up at it it just makes life really fun and and the sheer numbers when you get into that you don't worry about the size of the fish because it's the whole experience and the places that you are i mean it's the most scenic part of our state it's so beautiful if you're into alpine scenery this is this is it it doesn't get to be any better than that oh absolutely and i think one of the funnest ways to fish it is to put on a pair of good shoes that give you some good ankle support, but you don't mind getting wet, a pair of shorts, put some sunscreen and mosquito repellent on. And you know what? I actually found a repellent. Uh, there's Sportsman's Warehouse carries a brand, and I forget the name, but it's actually a sunscreen and mosquito repellent in one where you know, you can you don't have to spray on. You just lather up, and you're covering both bases. And then I just love to wade the river all the way up and go as, as far as your legs want to carry you that day on on one of those Uinta rivers and just take a lunch in a backpack with your buddies and have one of those really epic, epic fishing days. If you're looking for big fish, I, I would say in most cases then you'll be disappointed. But if you're looking for the complete experience where it's out away from everybody, it's as backcountry as it gets, and it's, it's as fishing fun as it gets. Some of these tributaries, Steve, you know, they'll be two feet wide, and it, you just kind of drop your your hopper pattern on it, and boom, you got a fish that comes up and grabs it. I can do that all day long. It's so much fun. Yeah, and and the key is, you you know, you talk about a three weight rod. That's to me, that's the key because you know it's kind of like playing golf. Depending on what tee box you play for, it'll depend on your challenge. Well, with fishing, if you want to take a little three weight fly rod up there, you'll have a lot of fun with a nine ten inch fish on a three weight with a little bit of current, and you won't mat. It won't matter to you uh, that the fact that it's not a three pound fish because it'll turn you every way but loose with light tippet and everything 
everything else. So it is a lot of fun. And, you know, you, you touched on something else that it's not just I mean, this river is the is the subject of your show tonight at Yellowstone. But there are so many more options as well with small lakes and rivers in the Uintas. And this is the time of year to do it because you're going to find snow in certain areas still. Those those uh, north facing areas are still going to have snow on them in, in many places. But it's just a wonderful experience from climate, from the fact that it's all greened up. And then the bonus is you can catch some really nice fish in there as well, from grayling to our, uh, you know, some of our other uh, lakes that have been stocked with uh, with rainbows and cutthroats and brook trout and everything else. I mean, it's the entire experience of being able to get up to some of those Uinta lakes and those little streams that uh, if you're not taking advantage of it, you're really missing out on one of the best fishing opportunities our state our state gives us oh yeah and you and i steve have actually gone the other direction we've gone down to the skyline drive mm-hmm. taken utvs and we've gone up in the mountains and then we fish those little pots that are just like the u.n is for brooks and cutthroat and grayling and it is it's just as good as the u.n is so there's all these little little ponds little stream fishing opportunities in the dog days of summer that i think are some of the funnest ways to fish um, from pure experience. You know, I love it. So there's tons and tons of cool options. Now, the one thing I would say, we talked about this, you got to take a buddy with you. Don't venture into these places by yourself and end up having to call search and rescue to come <laughs> find you. Right. You know, be smart about it because you are going into the back country. Have, have, you know, a backpack with some gear and food and emergency equipment if you're going to go do it. And have a buddy with you at all times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, my friend, uh, it's good to talk to you. Can't wait to see the show tonight. Looking forward to it. And uh, one of those great summer experiences where you get out of the heat and get away from the crowds and uh, a chance to, to just experience what it was like probably 50, 60, 70 years ago to fish a lot of our Utah waters. I remember as a kid in this state about uh, 55, 60 years ago, we didn't fight the crowds the way we do now. Now you got to go work a little bit more for it, but it certainly pays off as well. So we'll check out the show tonight, and good to talk to you, Gare. Awesome, Steve-O. I hope I've earned my spot into a second segment in the near future yeah, of you, today's performance. You have. You did all right for carrying this segment, so you might just be coming back, my friend. Nice. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Be good. See ya. All right, it's Gary Winterton tonight, Hooked on Utah, KUTV Channel 2, 1105, right after talking sports. Check out his fishing the Yellowstone River, where it comes out of you in. It's just a beautiful spot in the state. If you've never done it, at least you can live vicariously through Gary, who finds uh, something every week to take us on a terrific adventure. Speaking of terrific adventures, when we come back, I'll give you one that's uh, down south, maybe a little bit uh, takes a drive to get there, but it's well worth the experience. Stick around. on this Saturday morning. Final segment coming up here with Inside the Outdoors. And I told you uh, earlier in the show that we'd be talking to uh, an old friend of mine. I mean, a guy that I was, uh, boy, introduced to, I don't know, 
28, 30 years ago. Mark can tell us when it is. Uh, but uh, we've known each other for a long, long time. And uh, Mark Wade is down with Zion Ponderosa Ranch, which is just out of Zion National Park. If you come in from uh, US 89 from the Canab side, uh, and uh, the ranch is before you just before you get into the, uh, the boundaries of Zion National Park. And one of the most unique properties that you're going to find in this state, because it's right there on the fringes of Zion. You've got access to all the alpine and subalpine areas there as well that leads you right into Zion National Park. And as far as uh, the ability to to have, I don't know, multifaceted, and I'm talking 15 or 20 different outdoor experiences all in one location, I've never seen a place or even heard of a place that rivals Zion Ponderosa Ranch. So I welcome uh, Mark into the show this morning, and it's good to talk to you again. Boy, we, we kind of hook up about every couple of years, but it goes back a long way from the time I was at Channel 4 and uh, the time that you were uh, a young man who was waiting to get married. Well, that's correct, and uh, you even helped me ask my wife to get married. So, <laughs> so your wife doesn't like me, but you do. So it's uh... <laughs> no, well, it's it's great to talk to you again, Mark. Yeah, that was um, that was quite an experience. I was back at Channel Four, and you were interning with us, uh, uh, just kind of getting started in what has become a, a long career for you in terms of not only media but also uh, tourism and travel industry as well. And so it's it's great to talk to you again. And obviously, uh, being involved with Zion Ponderosa Ranch has got to be one of the one of those jobs that you just got to love to go to on a daily basis. It's true, and and you know one of the things that's been uh, I guess a great feather in the cap for for Zion Ponderosa. And by the way, our website is zionponderosa.com. We can mention that so people can get sure. there. But uh, we were we were listed by. Uh, USA Today, I believe it was, and one other publication is one of the top six adventure resorts in America. And so, as you were saying, you don't know of many places that offer the number of activities that we do on property. It's true. We may be one of the few in the West that offers as much as as we do, and, and uh, we're recognized for some of that. All right, let's just talk about a few of those things. And it's been a few years since I've been down there, but uh, climbing wall, zip line, uh, swimming pool, um, mountain biking, um, fat tire biking, ATV riding. Um, let's see, what else? I, I mean, I'm missing 50 or 60 of them. Give, give us the rest of the list there of things to do. Obviously, the Jeeps, and we're going to talk about the access you have to some of that property uh, coming up here. But uh, uh, what else? Canyoneering, um, hiking. Um, horseback riding. Horseback riding, Okay. Just, just rifle shooting, paintball. Yeah, the list goes on and on. It's, uh, it's hard to hard to pare it down to just a few things. But we do have four major activities that we guide. That's the the jeep tours that you mentioned, the canyoneering, the horseback, and the guided hiking inside Zion National Park. We're actually permitted to guide people. And, and when you go with a guide inside the park, then you know you've got a person that understands the geology, the geography, the biology and so on of the park and they can really make an experience even better the other thing you have is uh, is your accommodations are so unique there because you get everything from private homes which if you need it for a family reunion of 25 30 people you can accommodate them in 
in, in private homes, but you've also got everything in between from uh, the, the most uh, basic accommodations available all the way up to something that would, uh, you know, would rival being in a, in a luxury lodge somewhere. It's true. We have one of the nicest tented campgrounds probably in the region. And then we have uh, glamping, which is a hot item this day and age, sleeping in a tent with wood floors and nice queen-size beds and <laughs> lamps and access to charging your, your devices for Wi-Fi and so on. And uh, small cabins. And then, as you mentioned, those big vacation homes. There's, there's a lot of diversity there, even an RV park. And so family reunions or corporate groups or anybody who wants to come, they really have their pick of, of a price level that fits their needs. And, and it's spread out. We have 4,000 acres. And so it's right up, as you said, against the boundary of the park. And you can walk from our property literally into the park, out to Observation Point, Cable Mountain. Some of the best views of the park are, are best accessed right from, from us because we're at 6,500 feet. We're on the plateau right on top of Zion National Park. If you look up at the Great White Throne and come back a few miles, that's where Zion Ponderosa is. Yeah, it is an amazing piece of property and uh, and so unique. So let's talk about the Jeep tours because I know, especially at this time of year, everyone thinks of Southern Utah. I think, oh boy, I got to fight the heat. Well, there is heat obviously down there, but at 6,500 feet with Zion Ponderosa, uh, you get up in the mountains, you're in alpine conditions, and it cools things way, way down. And it's a perfect opportunity right now to to go ahead and take some of the Jeep tours. You've got some modified Jeeps that really are a perfect platform to explore some of that area. Well, we, and as you say, you know, I think we spent $10,000 per axle on these Jeeps just to <laughs> make them durable. And then they've got heated seats when it's necessary, and they've got uh, the cushion cushioning in the ride that's just deluxe. And you get out on these, bu- these bumpy back roads, and the ride's quite smooth. And uh, so these Jeeps are just fantastic. And we have five of those Jeeps right now. They'll each hold about nine passengers. They're open air. And then we have routes that are quite incredible. Most of these routes go into places where we have private access, and and very few, if anyone else, has access to these places. We have one that goes back into a slot canyon, and you you can do a combination Jeep tour and rappelling adventure where you rappel into the slot canyon. So you'll Jeep tour back to the slot canyon, you'll climb up on a hillside, and then you'll rappel down through the slot canyon, come back to the Jeep, and ride back home on the Jeep. And that's just a great adventure. We have another one that goes up above Zion Ponderosa, up on a mountain about 9,000 feet. And uh, we call it the Radio Tower Tour. We'll take you up on top of that view. And, Steve, this is something you'd be interested in because from there, you can look east and see the end of Bryce Canyon National Park. You can look south and see the Kaibab Plateau, which is the Grand Canyon North Rim. And you look west, and you're looking right down into the park, Zion National Park. So you're literally seeing three different national parks, if you will, from that viewpoint. That's incredible. Well, I I know that, um, I mean, I know that over the years, Zion Ponderosa just continues to expand the opportunities for people. I mean, they're really, at any level, I don't care whether you've got young kids or you've got that teenage years where they want the high adventure and everything else, or you got uh, those of us that are a little bit older now and want adventure but a little more sedate, you've got something that spans really all interest and all ability levels. Well, that's, those Jeep tours, you can take the whole family from young to old and climb into a Jeep, and with those five Jeeps, we literally can 
caravan several Jeeps out for a larger group if they'd like to and go off on any one of these Jeep tours together. And so 20 or 30 people could go, or it can be just your own private experience, and oftentimes there are four or five passengers, six passengers in the Jeep, and off they go to one of these destinations and, and have a glorious backcountry adventure where we've got another tour that we take to, uh, I was out with a group just uh, maybe 10 days ago, and it's as you described, it was young and old out on this Jeep tour. And uh, it's to an overlook we call Red Canyon. We kind of disguise some of these places so that <laughs> we can keep them quiet. And you're out over the top of uh, some beautiful Red Rock Canyons looking down into these vast expanses on the east side of Zion National Park. And they're spectacular. And so, yes, young and old, it's a, it's a great adventure for everyone. I, I think one of the things that I was so impressed with at Zion Ponderosa was, you know, if you go to some resorts, you've got a couple of things you can do. And we've touched on it before, the diversity here. But it will hold up for a week or more if you want to come down and spend an extended time. It's not just a one or two day experience. You can get one or two days of just, you know, cram a lot of things in and and have a high adventure. But if you want to to take an extended period of time and spend a week or more with the family and yet not repeat the uh, the experiences, you're able to do that and find a new adventure on a daily basis. And again, one that will satisfy the needs of basically everybody's ability and everybody's um, high anxiety or high adventure level, the adrenaline rush that everybody needs, it cuts across that, but it holds up for five or six or seven days. That's right. And we uh, we have a lot of people coming to us from around the country and around the world uh, that stay with us for anywhere from three to six days. And they're doing just as you said, you know, you've got Zion National Park right there. And so you've got a full day of just seeing the park if, if you want to limit it to just one day. And certainly you could do multiple just in Zion. Then you've got 75 minutes away is Bryce Canyon National Park. 25 minutes away is the beginning of the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. And uh, the North Rim is two hours away. Lake Powell is an hour and 15 minutes away. So there's there's all these things that can be done just if you want to leave the resort and make it at your base camp. But then, as you say, you can actually, in three to five days, you could just do activities on the property. And so we have a lot of people to make us their destination. They fly into Vegas or Salt Lake City or two of the best places to come into us. And and about 25% of our guests, you should know, come from the Wasatch Front. And we host a lot of great people from, from up that way. And they're coming down for, as we say, three, four, five nights and making us a base destination. Talk to me about future plans. What uh, I mean, obviously, I know you, you continue some of the activities when Zion Ponderosa got started. Some of the things you're doing now weren't even available um, as backcountry experiences for people. And I know you mentioned you're expanding or you have expanded your trails for riding, whether it's the Jeeps or the ATVs and things of that nature. What's what's down the line? What do you see as the future? Have you have you reached the edge of the expansion that you can do either from a physical standpoint with land or from uh, from an imaginary standpoint with just figuring out what there is to do as more and more things are added to potential outdoor experiences? That's a great question. We uh, probably a couple of things that are on the drawing board is we already host a lot of corporate and larger groups that come down, but we look at down the road at at expanding that opportunity to host uh, maybe a conference center, for example. We have conference rooms already 
but we don't have a conference center, and we'd like to make that a, a future plan. We also are uh, developing our, our Jeep uh, business. We have the five Jeeps now. We hope to have many more in the near future. And we have six different routes that we're doing right now on a regular basis. We'll expand those routes. Again, we have those as, as private routes. We actually just build a route because we have the 4,000 private acres, and we do sit right against the boundary of the park. We have one tour right now that we just created where you'll take and from our property, it's all on our property, you'll go out and you'll go to an overlook where you're looking down on Checkerboard Mesa there on the east side of the park. And that's from our property, you're at the overlook. Then you'll go down off the mountain and down into an area where you're down into a gulch or a slot canyon, which is on the boundary of the park. You get out of the Jeeps, you walk over to the edge of that slot canyon. In the springtime, there's a waterfall shooting off the edge of that slot canyon and down inside, and you can see that still going right now. And uh, and so then you'll loop back around and come back to the, where you started. That's a shorter ride. It's only $59 for an adult and $49 for a kid to take that one-hour Jeep tour to checkerboard and down into this jolly gulch where we go. And it's just a great adventure that's short and not very expensive. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's another thing that uh, makes it family friendly is you can do I mean, you can do the expensive adventures if you want to, but you can also find things that would fit budgetary wise, probably most families and uh, be able to still get you out doing some some excursions that isn't going to break the bank. And uh, that's something I know in today's world that everybody is concerned about. Uh, but you offer those those more economical uh, adventures, and that would be one of them that would uh, I'm sure satisfy from from you know young kids all the way up through teens and then us older folks that want a little more sedate adventure as well in the comfort of your Jeep it, it kind of cuts again across what everybody wants well another thing I should just mention too is that uh, Zion National Park has been you know uh, been probably getting a little bit of news for being a little bit busier mm-hmm. and so for those who still want that Zion experience but want the quieter side, if you will. The east side of Zion National Park is a quieter side. You don't run into the crowds that you would and down inside the park, especially during the summer months. And so coming this time of year to the east side of the park, you don't even have to go into the park to begin with. You From, from the Wasatch Front, you can come down I-15 and jump over the mountain near Beaver, um, Highway 20, and then come down 89, as you were mentioning earlier in your show, and you just come in from Mount Carmel, the backside, and you're right into Zion Ponderosa, right on the boundary of the east boundary of the park. Hang out with us, do all you'd like. If you'd like to get up early and run down and take the shuttle into the main canyon, you certainly can. Or you can just base with us and enjoy the pristine higher um, elevations with those cooler temperatures and, and enjoy your summer. Yeah, and you've got Kanab right there at your fingertips, and of course, uh, and I'm not sure when that is this year, but I'm assuming they're still going to do the uh, uh, bring in the old cowboys and do what they do at Kanab so well with uh, with the areas you can still see where the uh, westerns were shot back in the in the 50s and 60s. Uh, it's just such that's a great experience, and you're just within minutes of being able to access everything that Kanab has to offer as well. That's right. We're 35 minutes away from Kanab, and that Western Legends Roundup, yep. I believe, will be coming up in September or October. 
that's a big event. But there's a lot of Old West stuff still to be seen anytime somebody comes to Kanab. And Kanab uh, offers, you know, that's just one of the other places you can go when you come and stay with us. And and the rock art around Kanab is absolutely spectacular. The, the ancient civilization stuff that uh, Kanab affords access to is just amazing. So, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things. As you said, you can use Zion Ponderosa as a base. And what a base to come back to because if you decide that you don't want to take a drive for the day, everything is right there at your fingertips as well. So, uh, Mark, once again, give us, uh, give us that website one more time where people can check. Uh, ZionPonderosa.com is our main address. And, and uh, if people would like to book adventures, they, can, they don't have to be our guests to go out and do these adventures. They can just go there, look up our activities, book any one of those things. They can stay anywhere in the area and still come and enjoy the activities on property. We do have a restaurant, full-service restaurant on property as well, and then all that lodging that, that if they do want to base with us, they're welcome to do that, and they can book their lodging their food, and their activities all through ZionPonderosa.com. Yeah, and you've got that great swimming pool, which, by the way, on those uh, those warm days at 6,500 feet, it still gets plenty warm. It's nice to take a dip in, in that pool and cool things down or after a dusty ride for the day. So, Mark, thanks again. It's always great to talk to you, and the best to you and your family, and um, maybe we'll get a chance to see you soon. I look forward to that, and thank you for your time. All right, you bet. That's Mark Wade with Zion Ponderosa Ranch. I'll tell you one thing, folks. It is worth checking out. Uh, just go to the website, because that in and of itself, I think, will kind of uh, do so much better than, than I can do to tell you about it when you get a chance to see it firsthand. But for anyone heading down to the southern Utah area, uh, if, you, if you're if you moving to that side of the state or heading towards that side of the state, the Kanab area, or heading on your way down to Lake Powell, it's definitely worth taking a couple of days to either on your way down or on your way back or both to spend a little time there and especially if you're interested in Zion National Park because you do get a chance to basically see all of the the beauty of Zion and you won't have to fight the crowds if you base out of Zion Ponderosa. You can see everything you need to without having to fight that park traffic unless you really want to. If you like the if you like having the uh, opportunity to have all those people around you, great. Some people enjoy that. But it's a way to see the rest of that uh, area of southern Utah without having to deal with the uh, hundreds of thousands of people that populate the park at that time as well. Listen, we're going to see uh, that's going to do it. We'll step aside for another week. We'll be back next Saturday morning uh, between 8 and 9 right here on 97.5 The Zone. Thanks to my guest, to Mark Wade, to Faith Heaton Jolly for the Division of Wildlife Resources, and for uh, Gary Winterton. Most importantly, thanks to you for listening. And uh, Again, I will be back next. Uh, I think I'll be back. Now, I may be on vacation if I can get the passport agency to expedite my passport, but that's another story. It's only been uh, about three weeks I've been trying to urge them to do that and pay them the money. Hasn't happened yet, so um, I may not be back next Saturday, but the show will between 8 and 9. So until then, take care, everybody, and as always, my friends, enjoy the outdoors, and you have been warned. Right.